This is the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you. Also, Adam McManus from theworldview.com with me this time. And we like to bring the Word of God to bear on every part of life to equip the man of God, the child of God, the woman of God to every good work. And we haven't come back to the question of pets. Now, we're going to get to reparations in just a moment. Reparations for slavery or past sins committed by previous generations. But here's a sin committed by somebody in San Antonio. Uh, this happened recently, I'm going to say just last week, and and for anybody who owns dogs, this is important. Now, we, we have pets. We have two cats, four huskies and one beagle. We've been doing dogs for a long time. And something very bad happened in San Antonio. And I, I what dog killed somebody. Tell us what happened. Adam, this is your backyard. It is. I remember hearing about it first from some friends at Valor's birthday party on Saturday, uh, his eighth birthday party. I said, I hadn't heard that, and I looked it up subsequently. And I'm not sure I would necessarily qualify this as a sin, but you might have a different take on this. There was an elderly couple getting out of their car, walking down a public sidewalk in West San Antonio in a residential neighborhood just this past Friday afternoon. Two dogs got out of the gate. They were very strong dogs. The couple was walking down the sidewalk, and the dogs burst out of the gate that was closed. An 81-year-old was brutally attacked and died of his injuries. The woman is in critical condition, his wife, at University Hospital as we speak. Three others were injured, including, I think, one or two of the firemen. When I looked at the video, they looked like pit bulls, but they're apparently American Staffordshire Terriers. I don't know if that's a subset of pit bulls, but they sure look like pit bulls to me. The firefighters, when they got there, had to fight off the dogs with pickaxes and pipe poles to get to the victims in what was described as a horrific scene. The gentleman had been dragged by a dog, was completely bloodied, according to firefighters, before they were able to get the dogs away. The dogs were subsequently impounded and euthanized that very night. But there had been an incident two years ago when someone had suffered, quote, a mild bite, end quote. Neighbors had repeatedly complained about the neglect on the owner's part. Yeah, so that's the gist yeah. of the story. And uh, so what I want to do is bring God's word to bear on this. And by the way, the dog is the most dangerous animal on earth when it comes to fatalities, with the exception of the mosquito. Now, the mosquito, of course, because of carries bacterium on it. And so that that maybe is not exactly the same criteria for contributing to death, but the dogs are the most dangerous animals because they, well, there are so many of them. That's, that's the main reason. Uh, we, can, we have quite a bit on dogs and, of course, all of the various animals that God has created in our book, God Made Animals for Fourth Graders. But, friends, people do not love their enemies when their dogs are killing people. And here's why. Here's why. Because biblical law is very clear on this. And I think if we equip ourselves and our governments with these standards of biblical law, we're going to be ahead of the game. And we, we need to do this. 
And there's a very clear passage in Exodus 21, 28, which basically is exactly what happened in San Antonio. Listen, if an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall surely be stoned and his flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. But here it is, verse 29. This is the case of gross negligence. If the ox intended to thrust with its horn in the past and it has been made known to his owner and he has not kept it confined so that it's killed a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner shall be put to death. So now we're, we're shocked by this. Like God takes life that seriously? What? Well, of course, our society really doesn't take human life that seriously. Death penalty for murder is pretty much gone. Governments are paying for tens of millions of murders of in, unborn children over you know a period of a year or two at a time. And here's here's the key: this dog or these dogs were wont to push their horns in the past. These dogs were aggressive, and they had proven themselves to be so, such that they had been in state required quarantine in the past. The owner had paid reclaimed fees, and by state law, were required to return the animals. And so they returned the animals to the owners and the owners again, apparently, according to the neighbors, there are multiple witnesses on this, have neglected to tie up these beasts and they are subject to the death penalty. These, these people who own these dogs, according to biblical negligence laws, are to be put to death. I know that sounds severe, but, but, uh, but now one of the things that I want to do is contrast our legal system to a biblical system. Now, our legal system of tens of thousands of laws regulating people on matters relating to negligence and so many other things. There are 434 federal regulatory agencies versus we have this one biblical law. Or we have tens of thousands of laws regulating everything. 434 federal regulatory agencies supposed to take care of the problem of gross negligence, but they don't. I can, I can read the 434 regulatory agencies. Let me do that. It's going to take about 20 minutes. So let me go through this. <laughs> no, no, please don't. Agriculture Department, <laughs> Advocacy and Outreach Department, Agricultural Research Service, Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service, Federal Crop Insurance Corporation, Forest Service, Natural Resources Conservation Service, Air Transportation Stabilization Board, Amtrak Reform Council, American Battle Mount Monuments Commission, the Appalachian Regional Commission, the Arms Control and Disarmament Agency, uh, on and on and on it goes. I mean, we can just go on and on. Uh, there are 434 regulatory agencies, federal agencies that are out there to control just about everything. And th- that doesn't count the state agencies and the tens of thousands of laws that are out there, all the fees, all the fines. All the funding for all the federal regulatory agencies and state agencies, or or you could hang the perpetrator who won't cage in his pit bulls, these extremely dangerous dogs. You know, you could do that. So what do you want to do? Would you rather have a free nation go after the perpetrators who are guilty of taking human life by gross negligence or tyrannizing an entire populace by a trillion dollars of regulations, inspections? programs, fees, fines, and everything else. As I see it, biblical law is a deterrent. Modern big government socialism is a tyranny on the populace. So that's the deal. But in terms of our application to what we're doing, God's law imposes responsibility on the dog owner. And we've had a couple instances in our community recently where dogs have attacked other dogs or uh, they've attacked the owner or they've attacked other people. 
And uh, in one case, uh, this gentleman had to put the dog down after it attacked him and it would have killed him. I'm convinced the dog would have killed him if he had not gotten the upper hand over him. He was a big man. He was special forces. And so he was able to overpower the beast and then put a bullet through its head. But that's just a couple of stories recently. And as I see it, we, we, we need to train our children on biblical law. You got an aggressive dog. That's a problem. If you got a dog that's attacking other dogs, dogs that tend to, to bite should be put down. You have a dog that attacks a child, bites. Maybe the child doesn't lost its life yet. Maybe it's a nick. Maybe he just barely broke the skin. My, my sense of it is you need to put that dog down now or be prepared to lose your life if that dog gets out and hurts somebody else. Did that dog attack the big guy that was formerly in the military directly or did he? Okay. Yeah. That's what happened. And yeah. and where was that? It was somewhere in Colorado, but what was the it circumstance? Ha- ha- I believe it happened in Colorado on his acreage. On his property. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yep. see. So now we had this conversation with somebody in our church recently, uh, what to do when your dog is starting to pick up on aggression. And you'll see that in relationship with other dogs and sometimes with other people. Now, if, if it's too aggressive with other people, it's time to put the dog down. But uh, but if it's uh, if it's getting aggressive with other dogs, I, decent training, absolutely in order. So you know we talk about training dogs. You have a responsibility to train that dog, and so I, this is the sort of thing I think we need to really impress upon our children that you know we have a dog, we we have responsibility for that dog. We to take dominion over that dog, and not allow that dog or or a bull that want to push his horn out to engage in these deeds of gross negligence. God holds us responsible for these things. And uh, by the way, the same principle applies to drunk driving. You can apply the same principle. Well, we want to take a break, come back, talk about what the scriptures say about reparations. That next on Generation. Stay with us. You know, busyness has a way of creeping into our lives. As dads, it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one time with our sons to simply talk. And those moments can be tough to come by. I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the Colorado mountains. To provide quality time for you to connect with your son, can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year and we're already filling up. Go to coloradofatherson.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to coloradofatherson.com and register today. And we are back on Generations. This is Kevin Swanson. And Adam, here's an interesting story from San Francisco. Apparently, the city council has instituted a committee to determine reparations for the blacks who were committed to slavery in the history of this country. And now we've got this reparation stuff. You know, hey, wow, $5 million dollars. 
is what they came up with. Every black person in San Francisco gets $5 million. Not sure that's going to work. No. And let's look at the population. 815,000 people live in San Francisco. 5.7% are black. 51% are white. Um, 28, 30% are Asian. But if you look at the 5.7% are black, that means 46,455 citizens in San Francisco are black. At $5 million of reparations per black person, that would be a total cost of $232 billion. I dare say that would be the largest item in the budget of San Francisco if they went ahead with it. And not surprisingly, the two that were quoted in the San Francisco Chronicle while trying to balance their support of what their constituents no doubt think is a good idea with the realities of the budget that will not allow it. One San Francisco supervisor named Hillary Ronan said, if we had that kind of money in the general fund and we could maintain our services, that would be one thing. I wish we did have that kind of money. Another one, the only black member of the San Francisco City Council, Shaman Walton, said that what about if we use the revenue brought in by the city's cannabis or marijuana business tax to help fund the reparations? As it turned out, the tax would only raise about $10 million annually, slightly short of the $232 billion that they, <laughs> that they need. It'll take <laughs> about 3,000 years to, to pay that off. What I think is even more interesting is the very name of the advisory committee. It's African-American Reparations Advisory Committee. By the way, 37% of the people who live in Africa are not black. So as we try to use this politically correct term, it's not even accurate. We can say black. It's not offensive. It's, it's descriptive. I'm white. Someone who is black is black, Asian, Hispanic. I mean, we know what these terms mean. Why do we have to say African-American? Because it's not even helpful. It's actually confusing. Yeah. And what is this? Let's get down to the psychology of it. Ultimately, human beings have a guilt issue. They feel guilty about stuff. Why? Because they are guilty. They're guilty before God. And so what they're trying to do is misplace the guilt to blame each other as if we have sinned against each other no no we haven't sinned against each other fundamentally we've sinned against god and the reparations are reparations we need to pay to god except for the fact that his son paid it for us and as we trust in jesus christ we are not condemned that the price has been paid and we are forever received and no longer under any condemnation forever and ever and so you know, it's just a different religious approach to the problem of guilt. Now, every worldview has to deal with the problem of guilt. So, you know, how is this worldview dealing with guilt? Well, of course, placing it in the role of the civil magistrate to make decisions. Uh, and ultimately, the atonement is going to be paid, or they're going to try to get the atonement paid by the civil government. And they're calling this a sin as defined, as described by certain segments of society. No, no, our sin is the violation of God's law because we have violated God's law, not man's law, and we owe God. We don't necessarily owe each other. Now, in certain instances where somebody steals from somebody else, 
God does require that individual to re- repay the person that from which he stole that thing. And we read of that in uh, Exodus chapters 21 and 22, where, yes, if someone steals somebody else's goat, now you're required to pay three to four times the value of what was stolen. But that's only a few instances of sinful behavior that are taking that's taken care of by the civil magistrate. Uh, but what happens when it's the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth generation? We'll talk about that in just a moment. It's God's law that determines the sinfulness of an action, and it's God's law that determines whether or not a human is required to make reparations. It's got to be God's law. It's God's law or socialist law, Marxist law, random law, much like what you're finding with the San Francisco City Council. So it all, I think, is based in the fact that humans experience guilt, but they misplace the guilt and then they produce a different form or a wrong form of atonement. So here's, I mean, the question is, is this, Adam, do you give reparations to every person who's ever been abused in history, where their ancestors have been abused in history? The Japanese abused the Chinese during World War II, the Turkish genocide on the Armenians in 1910, the Romans and others enslaved the Anglo-Saxons in the 500s and 600s. The Irish worked the slave plantations right here in North America in the 17th century. So, wow, we're going to be paying reparations to each other. I better start writing you a check. and You better start writing me a check because there have been so many <laughs> sins committed by forefathers over a period of 6,000 years of world history. We're going to be writing checks for quite some time, and it's going to be hard to trace all that out. What is laughable about even this proposal is that there are no people in San Francisco proper who were ever enslaved. But the committee says, well, that's true, but there were policies that were racist that punished black people over the years, and this is our way of trying to make it up to them. And by the way, how did they come up with a $5 million figure? I mean, was there some kind of mathematical equation, a certain number of dollars per decade of oppression? No, they said it was just a journey. They just kind of, I think, really picked this number out of thin air. What they said was, quote, it was a significant enough investment at $5 million per black person in San Francisco to put them on this path to economic well-being, growth, and vitality that chattel slavery and all the policies that flowed from it destroyed. And by the way, it's not all they're thinking about. They're also thinking about debt forgiveness. On top of a $5 million payment, if you're given $5 million, I think you can afford to pay whatever debts you might have, the largest of which would be, no doubt, your mortgage. Secondly, maybe a school loan. But they're talking about a combination of the $5 million per black person and debt forgiveness for whatever they think is suitable. Well, and some have suggested that the Southern Democrat Party is more responsible for reparations over against the Northern Republicans. So maybe... Maybe it's just all Democrats should uh, should provide the reparations. You know? so, so you want to go nuts on this, you can, but it's it's all very silly, of course. Uh, but let's get beyond the ethnic bank background. You know, let's just talk about those who have less opportunity than others. You know, just apply the full Marxist formula because all this is based in Marxism. Ultimately, that's the worldview. That's the ethical basis for making these judgment calls. They're Marxists. These folks are Marxists. That's what liberals are all about. 
their ethical framework comes from Marxism. That's why they believe slavery is wrong, not because it's based on anything of a Christian worldview. These folks wouldn't say, oh yeah, based upon biblical law, we have made the determination. They don't say that. They're saying we're based on the fact that we're Marxists and we want to redistribute wealth. Well, if you're in the business of redistributing wealth, hey, there are entire classes of people that have not enjoyed the opportunities afforded by good schools, top-notch colleges, Ivy League colleges. Every graduate of Harvard University needs to provide reparations to the poor who couldn't afford an Ivy League school and had to get on with a lousy high school diploma or attend a state school in California like I had to. You know, the average graduate of MIT makes 93 grand a year. Mid-career is 167,000. Harvard is 81,000. Mid-career is 156,000. Whereas the average graduate from college is doing 56,200. That's a ratio of about 40, 50%. Uh, that, uh, there's a disparity between those who get to go to Harvard University and those who go to some lousy state college like I had to attend. So, hey, let's get some redistribution going here. You know, I realize there is disparity between slaves and freemen, but there's also economic disparity between folks that work for 15 bucks an hour and people work for 500 bucks an hour. So, again, the Marxists are all about, you know, equalitarianism and the redistribution of all wealth. Uh, so that's their morality. What does the Bible say? You know, we're not interested in what Karl Marx says. We want to know what God says. Exodus 23, you will not favor the poor in his cause. The poor, the rich, neither shall pay more or less, Exodus chapter 30. So the scriptures are very clear when it comes to public works projects, when it comes to the way the civil magistrate treats the poor, the rich, the civil magistrate does not get involved in taxing the rich more than they would tax the poor. That's against God's law. So what does the Bible say about reparations? Well, even if there was a crime committed by our great-great-great-great-grandfathers, and in many cases, there were kidnappings of slaves going on. The kidnapping was largely performed by Muslims, so we really need to start there. We need to go into Saudi Arabia. We need to get on into you know, the, the Muslim slave states, and we need to, uh, we need to you know, have them start writing checks because that's, that's where all the kidnapping began. And then, of course, it was uh, the slave traders from uh, Spain and Portugal and England that participated. So now what? What do we do? Do we... We find out who all the slave traders were, find out who their great, great, great grandchildren were and start, you know, right. Having them write checks to, to repair reparations. I don't think so. That's not what Ezekiel eighteen fourteen says. Now, suppose this man fathers a son who sees all the sins that his father has done. He sees and does not do likewise. He does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, nor does he defile his neighbor's wife, does not oppress anyone, exacts no pledge, commits no robbery but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with the garment. Again, this is Ezekiel 18. Withholds his hand from iniquity, takes no interest or profit, obeys my rules, walks in my statues. He shall not die for his father's iniquity. He shall surely live. And as for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother and did what is not good among his people, behold, he shall die for his iniquity. Yet you say, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son has done what is just and right, has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. The soul whose sins shall die. So that's what the word of God says. Now, there are instances in which God reserves the right to bring his judgment to the third and fourth generation, but he doesn't allow humans to punish to the third and fourth generation. No way. No way. Let alone the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, and eleventh generation. Now, here's the other thing that happens is tyrants always want to be more severe than God in their judgments. The first tyrant was Lamech, 
in Genesis 4.23. This is Cain's great-grandson. You remember Lamech? He was the first polygamist and the first tyrant. And Lamech says to his wives, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I said. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. So what is he saying? What he's saying is, I will be much more severe than God. I will be 70 times more severe than God. In fact, I'm more powerful than God, and I will be more severe in God in my judgments. I will make it worse than God would ever make it. I am the world's first tyrant. And, and that's what these tyrants want to do. That's what they want to do. They, 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 they love cranking down on the innocents, uh, those that have not committed crimes as defined by biblical law, and they want to tyrannize them. And that's, of course, what tyrants have been doing for the last 6,000 years of world history since the first tyrant, that is Lamech. And uh, that's what we are dealing with today. Democrats generally are tyrants. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. <laughs> who who, yeah, who wants want to, to raise taxes and tyrannize the living daylights out of everybody with increased regulations and increased fees, fines, regulatory agencies? It's typically the socialists. Well, think the about communists, the COVID Democrats. and how they respond to COVID. That's the most dramatic example. And I think it helped to wake up the American public, not as much as I'd like them to have woken up in light of the lousy election results. I wish we had overturned the Democrat majority of the Senate. But I think more people are learning because of the COVID shutdowns and and absurd policies shutting down the the public school and churches that they are revealing themselves to be the power hungry folks they are. Folks, I, I just want to say that I believe the word of God speaks to issues like liberty. It speaks to the issues like law. It speaks to governments. You, the governments cannot do whatever they want to do. They, they do not have a free license to tax you to 97% of your income. They do not have the license to come and confiscate your children. They don't have the license to kill all of you or to wipe out entire ethnic groups. Civil governments do not have the right to do that because they are under the authority of Almighty God and the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we call them to account. We tell them to kiss the Son lest he be angry and they perish from the way. No, absolutely. God is in control. God is the source of law. And we cannot allow these magistrates to think that they have free license to do whatever they want to do. They, they don't. So that's the word we press upon them, whether it be through this means, through the pulpits of this land, or any other means, we call the magistrates to obey the laws of God. And that wraps up this edition of the Generations Broadcast. Get a copy of my book, The Story of Freedom, to better understand the limitations God places upon the civil magistrate. I've got a list of 15, at least 15 limitations that God places upon the magistrate. They're not allowed to go beyond the boundaries that God has set out in his word. God's word is the basis for human liberty. God's law allows for liberty and limits the powers of civil government. Read about it in the story of freedom available at generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson and Adam McManus inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.